My name is Will, and after 22 years of being away from home, about two and a half months ago, our family moved back to the area, and we've spent the majority of our time in western Kentucky ministering out in, really, Owensboro for the most part out there. Um, my wife and I, we have two boys. They're 16 and they're 12, but believe it or not, they weren't always 16 and 12. Uh, they, they, they've grown up over time. What they can do now they couldn't do then. What they did then, they don't necessarily do now. And what we really wanted to do is, is we look at our kids as we're not raising children, we're really raising, raising functioning adults. And we wanted to teach them certain life skills that I think are just important. Uh, just various things that you want to pass on and, and leave a legacy in them so that they can be fully functioning adults. One of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to teach our kids to swim. We wanted them to have a healthy fear of the water. Uh, the, wanted them to respect the water, but to not be afraid of the water. So what were we going to do? We were going to teach them to swim. And so here's what we figured we would do. The best way to teach somebody to swim is just throw them in and walk away. So we took our boys, we threw them in, and we just walked away and said, hey, boys, figure it out on your own. Hope it works out for you. That's not what you do. What we did is, is we began in the shallow end. We began where the water was not very deep. Because every good parent is not going to just chuck their kids in water and say, it's all on you, buddy. Hope, 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 it, hope it's great. No, you start in the shallow end. And then you begin to get them comfortable with the water. And what we did is we put these on them. Flotation devices, flotation units, what we call floaties. Okay, I was going to put them on, didn't quite work out so well. Okay, but we had these on there. And we had these on their arms. And what we would do is we would, we would hold them. We would spin them around in the water. We would hold them up under their arms so that basically what they would do is feel that they're floating because what these are here for are for security purposes. They're here to uh, teach you to get comfortable with the water. Floaties, what they do is they keep you vertical in the water so that you'll keep your head above water. Then as time would pass, what they would do is they would get a little more daring and they would come up to the edge of the pool and they would stand there and we would say as parents, jump, we'll catch you. And you know the hesitation, are you sure? Are you sure you're going to catch me? Yeah, you can jump, I promise you I'm going to catch you. And when they would jump in the water, we would catch them and we would let them kind of hit the water so that they would begin to float. And all of this is taking place in the shallow end. Because you don't start in the deep end, although the deep end is the goal. It's to move from the shallow end, to take off the floaties and move into the deep end. That's where the slides are and the diving boards. That's where the big kids are. And that's what this series is all about, the shallows. That the shallows is a great place to begin but nobody expects us to stay there because it's a terrible place to stay. And this is what we looked at last week. How we start in life isn't supposed to be where we stay for the rest of our life. 
that we begin at a place, but nobody expects us to get stuck there or to stay there. We don't remain there. We move beyond that specific point in life as we progress and we keep building upon one another. This is what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13. And we looked at this last week. When I was a child, he did what a child would do. He talked like a child. He thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Say when he grew up, he got rid of the childish ways. He pushed them behind because he wanted to move beyond the childishness. The goal for us isn't to be a Toys R Us kid the rest of our life. We know the jingle, I don't want to grow up. I want to be a Toys R Us kid because there's a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. But the goal is not to remain the same. The goal is actually to grow up. It's to move beyond immaturity. And although you and I don't have a choice of whether or not we grow older, because that's natural, you and I do have a choice of whether or not we grow up. We have a choice of whether or not we are going to put the childish ways behind. These on a child, when you're at a public pool, that's normal. That's what you expect to see with a little child that probably cannot swim or swim very well. But put these on a teenager and an adult, that's a little confusing, alarming. It might be just a little bit embarrassing. Children jumping to their parents on the side of the pool, that's cute. You know what's not quite as charming and what's impossible almost is when a teenager and an adult jumps to their parents and tries to catch them. See, the choice is this. It's to move beyond the floaties by taking them off. It's a choice to refuse to stay where we are. Floaties are a great place to start, but a terrible place to stay. That's true in the pool. That's true in life. And it's especially true in our faith. Because in faith, we begin in the shallow end, but the goal and the desire shouldn't be to stay in the shallow end. Actually, according to the Bible, it's not optional to stay in the shallow end. It's, it's that we walk this journey, that we take these steps in the process of growing up. And that's where we're headed this morning. We're gonna be talking about owning our own faith taking responsibility for growing up in our faith. That what we wanna do is we wanna move from immaturity and we wanna move to maturity. We wanna move from the shallows to the depths. And the reason is, is we wanna become all that God wants us to be and become. And then we have to think about like, well, how? How, how does that work? What does that look like? Well, let me ask you this question right here. What if we have everything we already need? What if it's true that in Christ, you and I already possess everything we need? That what Christ put in me is enough. It's sufficient to take me and it's sufficient to take you from the shallows to the deep, from immaturity to maturity. And it's exactly what Peter is gonna tell us in a book he penned in the Bible. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. 
And he's given us some insight in one of the books he wrote. He's given us some advice into the process of you and I moving beyond immaturity and into maturity, moving beyond the shallows and into the deep. And if anybody understood what it looked like to be a work in progress, Peter understood this. And I love what Peter begins with because he doesn't begin with something you and I need to do. He begins with something that's already been done. And look at what he says. His divine power, his, not mine, not yours, his divine power has given. Means it's already been given. It's in the past tense. It's already done. It's already completed. His divine power has given us everything we need for what? A godly life. He's given us everything for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's telling you and I that we have everything we need to become who God wants us to be and who God wants us to become. And here's the great picture of this. It's not that he said, listen, I'm gonna start you out with 10% or I'm gonna start you out at 30%. And then what you need to do is you need to work your way to 50% and work your way to 60 or 75 or 80. No, he doesn't say that because God hasn't withheld. He's already given us 100%, every single thing we needed. And in him, we possess it. And that's the beautiful thing about faith is that our faith doesn't begin with floaties. Therefore, because we have everything we need, we can't make excuses. There's no valid reason. There's no sufficient explanation as to why we aren't becoming who it is that God wants us to become. But that's exactly what we do in life. And we don't just do it in our faith. We do it in all areas of life. All of us, we make excuses and we have all kinds of excuses. I've made them, you've made them, and we've both done it and we've done it often. Here are things, excuses that we've said before. I would, but just fill in the blank after that. I would, but, and then some people just say, it's just who I am. You can't change me. It's how God made me. It's just who I am. So therefore, because it's just who I am, I can't help it. And because I can't help it, it's just who I am. Or if you only knew this about me, if you really only knew, or how about this? I've tried so many times, can't seem to get it right. Yeah, what about this one? Too old. I'm just too old. I'm washed up. I don't have anything left to give. Or I'm too young. I'm not experienced enough. How about my background isn't the best? Or here's one that we're all prone to making. I'm just too busy. My calendar's full. My plate is full. Kids got me running all over the place. I've got all this stuff in my calendar. I barely even have time to make it to church on Sunday morning. Or this is one I've heard often, and I've even made it myself, is I don't have what it takes. I just don't have the ability. I don't have the power, the strength, the knowledge, the wisdom that I need. 
We could come up with so many excuses as to why we feel stuck, why we're stuck, why we are staying where we're staying, why we're not growing or why we're not maturing. We can make excuses of why we're still waiting in the shallows of life and of faith with our floaties on. You know why we make excuses? Because if we're honest with ourselves, they make us feel good. They make us feel a little bit better because they help us to rationalize our choices. It's easier to justify our behavior than it is to change. Psychologists actually take excuses and put it in the self-handicapping category. And they say it's a behavior that hurts our own self-performance and our own motivation. Why? Because excuses make us feel better about not doing better and not being better. They help us justify why we're not doing better. They help us rationalize why we're not being better. And excuses, what they do is they stem from a self-protection and self-defense. They're like crutches. About four years ago in May, I had this ongoing track record that every other May I was getting like seriously injured. And this one just happened to be four years ago. I was at the state soccer tournament for my son's travel team. They had a pretty decent shot to go at least pretty far into the state tournament. And after group play, they ended up drawing one of the hardest teams that was expected to win it all. And over and over throughout the game, we found ourselves down. We were down 1-0, we would tie it up 1-1. Then we were down 2-1, and then we were down 3-1. And panic mode began to set in because there's only about five to seven minutes left in the game, which isn't a lot of time in soccer to get and keep pushing and attacking when you're, when you're being attacked by the other team. Well, we got a, a little bit of a gift handed to us. We got a penalty kick. We put it away. It made it 3-2. And with about 20 to 30 seconds left in the game, we tied the game to send it to overtime. In overtime, we took the driving force and we took control of the wheel and we put the game away winning four to three, which would eventually propel us to win the state championship for our 06 boys team. Now I'm an overzealous coach. I'm an overzealous, passionate fan. I love the game of soccer. I love to watch my boys play and I love high school soccer. I like it anytime. Just watching it is, is a blast for me. And in my overzealousness, not thinking, hey, Will, you've got sandals on. Hey, Will, it's early in the morning and the grass is still wet. I jump up as high as I can jump up because I am stoked for this team. I'm about to carry the whole team off the field on my own shoulders. And when I jump up, I come down and I hit a really, really wet spot. And you know what doesn't support you? Sandals. You know what slid out from under me? My right foot. You know what sounded like a shotgun going off? My outside ligament on the joint of my ankle popped. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. I'm seriously injured. And I didn't even play the game. All the boys are walking off healthy. And here's old dad limping, trying to get over there. 
And luckily, one of the other uh, parents of the boys that played on my son's team was an orthopedic doctor and orthopedic surgeon. He said, Will, I'd love to see you there on Monday just so I can look at your ankle. So we did. We went in Monday. We looked at it. He x-rayed it. He, he felt around. I said, please don't touch that anymore because you know it hurts. I've told you it hurts. And we don't need to touch that place anymore. It's huge. It's swollen. It's black and blue. And he said, Will, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are two options. And I'll tell you the best option and then you can choose between the two options. And the first option was to have surgery. He said, I'd love to just go ahead and do surgery on it. Let's get the, the ligament repaired and let's get it going. And I, I, I said, Doc, what's option two? Let's go with that. He said, we're going to put you in a boot. And here's the key. You have to stay off your foot for eight weeks. No walking on it, no pressure on it, nothing. A total of eight weeks. Can you do that? I said, let me pray about it. Yeah, I can do that. Put it on. He said, you're going to have to be on crutches. And he said, I'd advise you to go get one of those scooter things. Mind you, we had VBS and two trips to the beach planned that year. And here, who's wheeling out to the beach and crutches and on a scooter? This guy. But guess what I did? I stayed off of it for eight weeks because here's what the doctor said the plan was never to do. The plan was never to stay on crutches. The plan was to heal my foot enough that I could begin to walk to gain strength back. He said, Will, eventually down the road, we're going to put the crutches away. But what excuses often do for you and I is they're like crutches that keep us from participating or, or progressing like we are supposed to progress. They're like these floaties right here. They simply keep us afloat, but that's all they're designed to do. They're not really designed to teach you to swim. They're designed to keep your head above water and nothing more. And remember these excuses, they're self-protecting and they're self-defensive. But what can be self-protecting can also be self-paralyzing. Because look at this, excuses, what they do, they undermine our progress and they impair our potential. They paralyze us. They keep us where we are. They don't help us to move beyond where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to become. When I was four and a half, I quickly realized that um, there was a career path I wasn't going down. You know, you do things in life and they, quit, they help you to realize that that's not what you're gonna do. And when I was four and a half, I decided that I would try um, barber school. So I took it upon myself to cut my own hair. And my mom and dad are like, what in the world did you do? I'm not going to tell them I cut my own hair. You're crazy. You've got to come up with an excuse. I said, I said, mom and dad, believe it or not, while you were gone, a robber came in, didn't take anything in the house. He grabbed the scissors, he cut my hair, and that was it. I thought, man, they're going to believe it. I'm four and a half. He cut my own hair, Mom. Like, what are you going to do? A robber came into our house. You've got to do something about this. And obviously, that's not really the case. A robber didn't come in and cut my hair, but here's the re reality of, for all of us, that there's always going to be an excuse when we're constantly looking for an excuse. And every time we make an excuse, it's impairing our potential 
It's undermining our progress because we're justifying, we're rationalizing, we're excusing away the behavior. But remember, Peter removed all the excuses back in verse three. He said, we have everything we need by his divine power through our knowledge of God's glory and God's goodness. And this is what he goes on to say, through these, through what? God's glory and goodness, what he just said. What has he done? He has given, past tense again, he's given us, look at this, very great and precious promises. Not just mediocre promises, not promises that may not come to fruition or be fulfilled or be kept. No, these are very great promises and they're precious promises that God asks you and I to hold on to. How about this? I won't leave you. That Jesus said you can have life and you can have it abundantly. That we would find our life when we lose our life. Jesus also said that you and I, we would produce fruit if we would abide or remain in him. That we could have rest when we're weary, burdened, and heavy laden. He also promises that we don't have to fear because he's given us divine power. He's giving us these very great and precious promises through his goodness and glory. And he goes on to say that we can participate. Participate in what? The divine nature. That means to partner and join in. This divine nature is to become like Christ. He's telling us what the Christian life looks like free of floaties. Because of his divine power that's in us, we have everything we need to move beyond the childish ways and to participate in the divine nature. And this is what he's gonna tell us what it looks like a life free of floaties in the faith. He says, for this very reason. So for everything I just said, this very reason, he says, make every effort to add. That's to do one's best and to try as hard as possible. Which means if we're gonna make every effort, we have to stop making excuses. We have to stop playing games. We have to stop messing around. We have to stop being passive. We have to stop sitting around. And we do have to start by taking responsibility. Now, what Peter's not doing is he's not putting our salvation on our shoulders. He's not saying here, you're responsible for your salvation. That's not what he's doing. That's all of God. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift from God so that no man can boast. But what he is doing is he's putting our growth and our maturity and our spiritual depth He's putting that on our shoulders because he says we've already been given everything we need. And what he's saying is, is add to that what you already have. He says, add to your faith. Add to your faith. Faith is believing God is who he says he is, will do what he says he will do, and then live my life according to that. Meaning the action is on us and he's calling you and I to take steps one step at a time. And he's saying it's not automatic. It's not just gonna happen. You don't just show up to church and all of a sudden it all happens like it's supposed to happen and I'm gonna become who I'm supposed to become. No, it takes effort. It takes energy. It takes work. 
We have, to, we have to strive for it and we have to go forward in it because we've already been given what we need. And since we've been given what we need, now it's our turn to embrace the responsibility and harness what we've already been given. He says, add to your faith. Faith is the beginning, not the end. In, pos in possessing faith, we have to progress in faith. Faith puts you and I in a new nature, that the old nature is gone. I'm putting behind childish ways. I'm taking off my old ways and I'm putting on a new nature. That's the divine nature of Christ. And we have to cultivate that. And he says, add to your faith, what? Goodness. This idea of goodness is a land that is fertile with good soil. It's not soil that's filled with junks, junk and rocks. This goodness is a, is a moral excellence and living a life that rises above moral mediocrity. It's living a life that's doing what is good and right. And doing what is good and right is important to me and it's important to you. Jesus said to let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your God in heaven. That in our goodness, we stand out when we don't blend in with our culture and with society. And he says, then to goodness, look what he says. And to goodness, you had knowledge. Knowledge is just a practical experience, experiential understanding. It's not information for information's sake. It's taking what you know and it's applying what you know. This knowledge right here is focused on the person and the word of God. And it's no, knowing what's most important and doing what's most important. And then he, he continues to build into knowledge. He says self-control. That's the idea of being, or controlling instead of being controlled. That our passions and our desires, they're under control. It's getting a grip of yourself and saying no to self. Really what self-control is, it's a mastery over the cravings. And he goes on and he says, self-control, he says, perseverance. Add perseverance. If self-control deals with the pleasures and desires of life, perseverance deals with the pains and problems that we have in life. What, what Peter's saying is, is listen, you need to hold fast in the midst of opposition. When adversity comes your way, stand firm. No matter what your circumstances and your circumstances that come your way can be quite difficult, I need you to persevere in that. What I want you to do is I want you to stay the course. Don't give up, don't give in, and don't quit. And he goes on, he says, and to perseverance, godliness. That's just God-likeness. A practical awareness of God not just here at church, not just in your table group, and not when you're around a bunch of other Christians. It is a practical awareness of God in every single area of your life. It's a life that represents God in worship, in reverence, and in obedience. That every time you and I, every time we love, every time we forgive, that we refuse bitterness and grudges, that we extend mercy and show grace, that every time we serve and speak the truth in love, we are growing in and living out the godliness that Peter is talking about. And then he just builds it up. 
And to godliness, he says mutual affection. Mutual affection is a brotherly kindness. It's a practical care and affection for one another. It's brotherly love. Friendships of shared faith that sharpen our faith. It's when you and I, when we one another, one another, encourage one another, care one, for one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another. And the list could go on and on and on. And he builds off brotherly love and he says, to mutual affection, love, love. This is a sacrificial, unconditional love. It's the capstone of God's work in your life and in my life. If brotherly love is because of our likeness, this type of love, sacrificial love, is in spite of our differences. It's when you and I desire the highest good for others. This marks the highest level, most important point of our faith. It's the greatest of all virtues. It's where Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because without it, without love, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you know or what I know. It doesn't matter what we give. It doesn't matter what we believe. And it doesn't even matter how committed you are because without love, you're a clanging cymbal and a clashing gong. Amen. And look what Peter goes on to say about all of these bundled up. If you possess these qualities, if, if you possess them, in what? increasing measure. That we're growing, we're increasing, they're multiplying, they're to be in abundance. That increasing measure, it's a verb that is active and present, which means it's ongoing and it will continue to go on each and every day. That we have a faith beyond the floaties. That there should never be a time in our life where we are not increasing in measure. And I love what Peter does is he kind of takes the pressure off. He doesn't say you need to make these giant, massive steps, that you need to make these leaps and bounds. He simply says, just move the needle. Just move it a little bit at a, at a time. Because when we possess them in increasing measure, he says they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Nobody wants to be ineffective. Nobody wants to be unproductive and nobody wants to be unfruitful. And here's the great thing is that you and I, no matter where we find ourselves right now today, we can start where we are because we don't have to stay where we are. In fact, we can't stay where we are. It's not optional. And we have to understand that you will never make progress until you take responsibility. You'll never go forward. You'll never become who God wants you to become until you and I, we take responsibility. Taking responsibility doesn't necessarily mean that you're admitting fault. But it does mean that even though you may not have caused the problem, you can cause the solution that our entire Christian faith revolves around a God who took responsibility 
to correct a problem you and I created. It wasn't God that created it. It wasn't God that fell short of the glory of God. It was us that has fallen short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us are sinners. It wasn't God's fault, but God took responsibility. And that's the God we're supposed to imitate. That's the God who put his divine nature in our lives through Jesus Christ, his divine power. This isn't about assigning fault or, or, or trying to find out who is to blame. That doesn't matter. Those things are simply time wasters. And that's why God has given us everything we need and has called us to take responsibility. Responsibility for what? We need to take responsibility for who I am and for who I want to be. It begins with the decision that things need to be different, are going to be different, because things should be different. There's no way I should be in the same place or you should be in the same place one, three, five, ten years from now. What do we got to do? We got to stop making excuses. We got to begin to make some small adjustments, one step at a time, over time. In 2011, I was a student pastor, and one of my students um, swindled me into running a Tough Mudder. If you've never heard of Tough Mudder, just go YouTube Tough Mudder. You'll see it's a lot of miles with a lot of obstacles, and you get like electrocuted at the end. <laughs> Why not? Okay. He said, we're going to do this. I said, great. When is it? It's this time. Okay. We're in this together, right? Yes, we're in this together. Awesome. All of a sudden, the we's change to you. You're going to do great. You're going to do awesome. You're going to accomplish it. I said, you, what happened to we? He said, I'm not running it. <laughs> okay. So what did I do? I signed up for an 11-mile course through the mountains of Maysville, Kentucky, with multiple obstacles that included dipping yourself in freezing ice-cold water about three miles in, through mud, treacherous terrain, and get electrocuted at the end. I said, I better train for this. So I did. I started, I started training. I started to do a little bit of running. I started to do some push-ups, some sit-ups. I started to build my strength, my endurance, and I was ready to go. But you know what didn't run the race for me? All that training didn't run the race for me. I had to get up to the starting line, and when they shot off the pistol, I had to take off running. 11 miles, 46 degrees in the rain. And you know how I accomplished it? Literally, one step at a time. Amen. We don't have to take giant steps. They're small steps so that we don't have to feel overwhelmed. If I thought about the 11 miles on the Tough Mudder, it, it just overwhelmed me and it built anxiety in me. And I said, I can't do that. I don't even want to do that. I want to quit now with everybody else that's quitting. I want one of those blankets. I'm freezing. But it was one step at a time. And we do so by pressing in, making every effort 
to add to, to supplement our faith in order to become who it is God wants me to become by his divine power. When we lose our excuses, we find our potential. And when we find our potential, look at what Peter says, I love this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, same language, make every effort. Make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And look how he finishes this section. And you will receive a rich welcome. A rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what that rich welcome will be? Those words that Jesus spoke when he walked this earth, that when you enter the kingdom of heaven, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You made the most of your time you had there on earth. You know what you did? You lived to make a difference. You moved toward God and into what God wanted you to be. Uh, you weren't perfect. No, you didn't get it right all the time, but you walked in faith and you showed mercy and you gave grace and you led by example and you loved well. Well done, good and faithful servant. So what do you say? What do you say we begin today by choosing to take our faith and to move our faith beyond the floaties? take them off, to go from the shallow to the deep, and to take the step forward in who it is that God wants you to be. For some of you, it's just that little next step that you already know you need to take. You're already ready to go. You know what needs to be done. Now it's taking that step. And for others, it is the big step of faith. That you're not a believer in Christ. But you know right now he's touching your heart. And you know right now you need to take a step forward in him. Will you pray with me? Father God, I am so grateful that you have given us everything we need in order to grow in your divine nature, to become like you and to become who it is that you want us to become. God, I pray if there's anyone in, in here watching online, that God, if this if the next step they need to take is the step of surrendering their life to you, that today would be the day of salvation and that they would experience a season of refreshing. That God, they would just right now humble themselves before you and pray to receive you as their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that God, for every single one of us, that we don't wanna stay where we are, that God, we wanna go beyond where we are to what it is that you have for us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.